Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. No, 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 no. Don't call me a hero. What fresh hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. It's not going good here, guys. It's horrible. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Sitting at the dining room table and being yelled at by my three children. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I wiped groceries like a maniac. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about the only question we all have. (laughs) Should I send my kids back to school? We're going to the top of the mountain. The question everyone is thinking about obsessively at 3 a.m. Should I send my kids back to school? In solidarity with you, we will be rocking in the fetal position (laughs) while we record this episode. Here's the thing. Like, should I send my kids back to school? I am waiting for the phone call, the Google meet with the entire school community with each of my, I have three kids who are 12, 16, 17. That's a factor in this decision. They go to two different schools. And it really was just this week that it occurred to me like, well, on this night, I'll find out if they're going back or not, that just because the school says this is how it's going to go isn't necessarily the answer, right? Like there was what happens and will it be the right answer? And then like your answer for yourself can be different than what the school district says. So it gets even more complicated. So that's what I want to talk about today. And the big spoiler of the whole thing is I've received my school plan. We've got I know exactly what's happening. But guess what? In two weeks, they could be like, yeah, we have to scrap that, unfortunately. Right. Because nine of the teachers just tested positive when they came back for development day. The reality is there is no plan. I don't want to spoil the whole episode, but there is no plan and there is no answer is what everybody kind of needs to understand right off the bat. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it was Illinois announced, you know, here we go. One day of asynchronous learning. Two days of synchronous learning, two days of in-school instruction. Here's how it's going to work. Here's our giant color-coded schedule. Da, 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 da. They laid out the whole plan. And then a week later, they were like, nope, never mind, online until January. <laughs> and this is the other part of it, right? It's like we're waiting for this brass ring that we're going to grab. And we're going to be like, now we actually know something. And unfortunately, guys, that does not exist. There is no we actually know anything coming for us. This is something I learned this week that is part of the complicating thing. I want to preface this by saying I have the greatest 
regard for the people who are making these decisions, right? The heads of school, the superintendents. I do not want to be these people. And I am grateful for the hours and hours of time they are spending making these decisions. But they don't have better information on this than we do. There's a Medium article, Ann Klotz, who's a head of school. I'm going to put the link in our show notes right here or on whatfreshhealthpodcast.com. She says in this blog post that they're spending hours on the phone. And she says, our meetings have never been longer or less productive. And it's just all the teachers and the head of school sitting on a conference call. And somebody's like, well, I read a study that kids can't really get it. Well, I read a study that two teachers died. And they just sort of sit around with long silences and figure out what they're going to do. But they're pulling the same stuff from Twitter that we are, right? They're not privy to some great fount of information that we aren't. That's right. And even if they were, like, there aren't really good decisions, you know? Right. It's kind of, the decision is kind of like, do you want to cut off your left pinky or your right pinky? Like, it's that kind of decision. It's not a decision where it's like, you know, often we are faced with the kind of decisions of, you know, should they put enrichment activities after school or should they not? Of course they should. It seems so obvious, whatever it is. These decisions, there isn't a goal. There isn't an, a finish line here. That's the problem. And that's, I think, some of the like Facebook groupie type stuff gets a little, why would they do this? It's like, guys, there is no good choice here. So... I don't think this is a situation where you get to be like, why would you do this? Because they've thought about 8 million constantly varying variables and decided this is the best course of action through the alligator infested swamp. <laughs> like, it's like there's a good option. Your chance of getting eaten by an alligator is pretty good. And P.S. There's a whole other factor, as there should be. So in New York City, some different private schools announced. So private schools, at least in New York City, New York City is the biggest school district in the nation with a million students, and that's in the public schools. And then there's got to be another half a million students in private schools. And one of the primary differences is that you're paying for smaller class size. And so the public schools are going to have a really hard time fitting kids in the classroom at at appropriately socially distanced ways. The private schools have smaller classes, and so they can fit everybody in the classroom with the desks spread out. So some of these private schools came out last week, like, we're going to do it. We're going to be able to move forward, and here's how, and we have pods, and it's every other day, you know, one of those kind of plans. And a lot of teachers, including, I think, 100 from one of the schools that goes K through 12 have signed a thing like we're not coming to work like P.S. Nobody asked us and we're not coming. And the school somehow did not see this eventuality and plan for that in any way. So they put out a plan and then the teachers were like, no, 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 no. And now what are they going to do? I don't think the teachers are doing the wrong thing. I think that they should be considered in this moment, but it wasn't considered from the beginning and it needs to be. I mean, the advice that we give again and again on the podcast is like, you have to hold this lightly, whether it's like, I have to get my kid to eat healthier foods. I have to get less screens going on. Like you hold it so tightly that you kind of break it, you know, and you go crazy. And so we're constantly coming back to that idea of like, don't over grip because you're not actually helping it come out differently. And it can be kind of facile to say here, but that is kind of the message. Like, The message is this is maybe for a lot of us our first exercise in having no control over our children since they were born. You know, I mean, we cannot make this come out a certain way. We can't 
make the schools reopen. We can't make sure that they stay at grade level if the schools are shut for a year. We can't do a lot of things. And I see a lot of activity around me and I feel myself fighting the idea that I've got an idea. I'm going to form my own pot and hire a teacher and we're going to be in the yard. And I feel like it's all a little bit of an illusion of control and that the smartest thing we can all do is say, this is an extremely difficult situation that I have no control over. Right. But your kids still have to go somewhere on Monday if you have to be at work. Right. I mean, it's you can be at peace with not having control, but you still have to make a decision for your kids for next week. So you can't just opt out of deciding. I guess you just have to. Can you bring the wall that you're swimming to closer and say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen in December, but for October, this is what works for my family or this is what I feel comfortable with. Yeah. And I think that you end up in a mode once you realize that like you can't figure out how your kid is going to get, my kid is going to get a seventh grade education this year that I reduce down from like, I can fix it and we'll do this and this and this to like, what is my next best choice? Okay. I'm going to look at the percentages. If the testing percentages around me are, I'm going to say under 2%, meaning 2% of case tests are coming back positive. I think that helps our chances of it being low. Everyone's wearing a mask. Once I see the structure of how it's going, I am going to feel comfortable sending him to school. And if I don't feel comfortable sending him to school, like I just think it's layering on the idea of like everyone's falling behind and what if he doesn't get this education? What is it? Like we cannot afford to borrow any trouble at this point. We have to just say like, what is the next day look like? And And what does my reality look like? The other thing we say a lot is like, it's half what you need and half what your kid needs. Like, are you doing okay having three kids at home all the time? Maybe homeschooling is right for you. That is safer in terms of getting the virus. But for me, I am not doing great having three kids at home all the time. And so maybe I'm willing to take a little bit more risk about the virus to have them in a situation that works better for all of us. Like, I just think you have to frame the decisions in a different way than like, I'm going to get this right. But there's a third one, which is I really don't feel comfortable sending my kids to school. I don't think they're making good choices, but I am an essential worker and I have to be at work. Right. Harvard came out with a study and and I'll put the link to this too. They had a long interview on NPR that I listened to where the epidemiologists suggested that this sort of hybrid model that we're coming up with where their kids are in school sometimes and at home sometimes, it's probably the worst of all possible outcomes because the kids are home. It's one thing. The kids are in school. They're exposed to one set of people. The kids are in school sometimes. Working parents are going to have to put together a hodgepodge hybrid of this babysitter on Tuesdays and my mother-in-law on Thursdays. And the kids are exposed to more different people and exposing more more different adults. That's a really hard place for a working parent to be in right now. And I just want to be sure that we're saying like, keep them home if you want, or send them to school if you want. There are some people like, I don't want to send them to school. And yet I have no choice but to take whatever the school district is offering us. Yeah, no, I mean, and I don't, I'm not trying to discount that at all. It's like, but yes, if you are an essential worker, you have to figure out some sort of child care for your kid that makes sense, right? And so that is a decision in and of itself. That's a decision that's being foisted on you. And so, yeah, you may 
I mean, these are just the realities of the situation. I mean, you could possibly find somebody to come in and watch your kids if you can afford to do that. But no, I mean, I'm not trying to be facile about like, well, whatever, every choice is right for just the right person. But I just think the big picture thing is sort of like, uh, I can make all these decisions. And in fact, for a lot of us, these decisions are being made for us. For a lot of us, like there is no good option. You just have to pick one, you know? Yes. And I guess we're saying it takes some of the pressure off, like pick what works for September. Don't worry about, I think this will have been the great year and a half. Please God, I hope I'm right when I say that, where everything, where we just treaded water in this weird way. You know, there is no winning this moment. So there is sort of getting through this moment and the right answer can change is better than how do I make sure my kid has the optimal fifth grade experience this year. It's not going to happen. And I feel like I'm having trouble saying what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is the right answer does not exist fundamentally. And that, yes, okay. Yes, if you have a range of possibilities, you make the next right choice. A lot of people don't have a range of possibilities because they're essential workers, because they can't afford to do anything else than send their kid to school or, you know, have nobody home with them. And so I just think it's the illusion of the right choice and the thing of like, well, make whatever choice. Somebody on the Facebook page was like, oh, I don't like the advice. You know, make whatever choice you made the right choice. Because I can't, right? I'm not in that situation. Right, right. That feels facile. I'm not in that situation. Right. Right. But that's right. It's hard not to be facile about it. But I think what a lot of us are struggling with, it's just this illusion that like there is a door that leads somewhere good. <laughs> And I just think all of these doors lead somewhere not great, you know, and that part of it, I think, is important to look at. And your doors are completely different from my doors, right? Can I give you a quote? Yes. There is an article in The Atlantic called, this push to open schools is guaranteed to fail. So just know that before you read the article. Well, that's, I will say, I just said that. I mean, we can talk about this all day, but the schools are not opening, guys. Or they're not staying open. Right. We're not going to open in September and stay open until June. They're not staying open. Yeah, I guess so. So she, it's not happening. I love the plan. I read it. It was color coded. I was like, slow clap to this plan, but talk to me in October and let's see if this is actually happening. Talk to me on October 15th. Right. So Adrienne LaFrance wrote this article for The Atlantic. Again, I'm going to put the link to this in the show notes as well. And she, I thought, distillated the issue really well. So she says, all along, this disaster has been at the same time completely shared and completely individualized. It's a weird dissonance in a collective tragedy because each person, each family has to navigate with intricate specificity to their circumstances. So that's why this is hard, because should I send my kids to school or not is completely different from should you send your kids to school or not for 100,000 reasons. Yes. And that is what school districts are trying to deal with across the board. And that's why Basically, I feel like this conversation, like we're kind of bumping up against a million things and kind of saying things wrong. And it's because of exactly this thing. Like, we'll just try to make the next right choice. Easy for you to say you don't have an immune compromised kid and an essential worker job. Like, right. That's a different situation than I'm in. Right. You're right. Easy for you to say because you don't have your 92 year old mom living with you. Correct. You know, like that is right. That is different than the situation that I'm in. And God, it's just every, that's exactly what it is. There's an expression in the autism community. If you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism because autism manifests in so many like unique ways. And it's like, if you've met one person trying to solve the school dilemma, you've met one person trying to solve the school (laughs) dilemma. It's the same 
thing. Like, yes, we can talk about this broadly. And in some ways, we have to talk about this broadly to have any hope of solving it. But literally, I can already see like the sea of hands being like, actually, but for me, and it's like, you're not wrong. All right. So let's take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you some of the things that are affecting my own decision making matrix and what I'm finding frustrating. And maybe you'll agree with me. Maybe you won't. Margaret, I've got a go to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we're back. Amy, lay it on me. What are you doing? You sending your kids to school or what, Amy? Well, if my kids are allowed to go to school in person, I am going to send them. And here's the reason why our whole family had the coronavirus back in March. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Big revelation from Amy, guys. So we've had it already. I know that is a big and I didn't talk about it on the show because at the time we couldn't get tested. We couldn't get seen. I didn't know if it was going to get worse. It was not something I was ready to be funny about. Right. So we've had it. And so I guess if you want to know more about it, I'll tell you more about it at some other point. But it's real. It's serious. You don't want to get it. I felt very sick for a couple of weeks. And of course, the scariest part was, is it going to get worse or not? And some of my kids were very sick and some of my kids were completely asymptomatic. But for me, that's obviously a major factor. And if they can go to school sometimes, I'm going to send them because we had it already. And yes, there is some science like you can get it twice. You can get, I've read those studies. I've looked at them. I am comfortable for myself with the matrix of, I I think the chances of getting it twice are low enough that I'm going to send my kids to school because they've had it already. That's my answer 
but that's, I don't know. Do you think that's a rare answer? I also think in New York City that the rate of infection, like it ripped through New York City and right now our rate of infection is low. And I think that probably provides us some protection. Like lots of people have been exposed to it already in New York City and that probably makes our schools a little safer, but I'm not sure about that and I am not a scientist. I think that's like rare air and Amy and I often talk about this and we'll talk about stuff and I'm like, oh my God, that's right. You had it already. Like, I just keep coming back to that thing. You can argue that like, maybe you'll get it again. Maybe this, maybe that. I think because it started in January, we would have heard by now if scores of people were getting reinfected again and again. You might get it a year from now. Who knows? But I think you're probably right that you're in... A pretty good situation having had it already and I would feel really different if I were you. <laughs> I would be very fine with sending my kids to school and that's like yet another variable that most people don't have. Five million people have had it in the United States, right? And so the vast, vast, vast majority of people haven't had it. And so that's a whole other set of variables that doesn't apply. Right. But, but yes, if I were you, I would be sending my kids to school and I would be very happy to have already gotten over it. The thing I think is difficult for people who don't know that they had it is that we're in this grand moment of, I feel like there's nobody I know who isn't saying, oh, no, 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 we're being totally safe. We're not going anywhere, right? Like we're not doing anything. And I have one friend who, other than the pediatrician, her kids, they haven't gone anywhere. They've gone to their own backyard. They haven't gone out for pizza. They haven't gone to, you know, a birthday party for the cousin in the backyard and it's fine. So I have one friend who's done that. I have another friend who's gone on multiple vacations, including like to the shore where everybody's packed in and, you know, kids going on vacations with other kids. And I'm not here to judge choices. I am here to say that both of those people are telling me that they're being completely safe and they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you have to accept as part of sending your kids back to school that there is a dramatically increased risk of them getting coronavirus and bringing it home. That's part of the equation because that's right. Like, I mean, in our school, my kids go to public school. I don't know, a couple hundred kids, you know, they're doing the. So my school's plan is Mondays, everybody learns at home. Tuesdays and Thursdays, one set goes Wednesdays and Fridays, the other set half goes, right? So that they'll keep the classroom small, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're doing all the protocols. One of my kids is in a summer program at the school. And I have taken him for four weeks now. Temperature checks, masks. I feel pretty good about it. You know, I don't worry that much about it. And But at the same time, we would be safer not sending him at all. We would. But I just feel like... He's a kid who needs extra support in his learning, and that's where he gets it, and he doesn't get it well from me. And one thing I do want to say while we're on that topic, I do not think it is important to worry about your children academically at this point at all. Right. I believe that if you sat home with your kids all day, every day, and they played Fortnite for one year straight, they would be fine. I don't think... They will be cranky. <laughs> they will give you a hard time. They will be cranky. They will be annoying. <laughs> they will be like, have headaches. I don't recommend that course of action. <laughs> Taking it myself. But what I'm saying is the only thing in the cosmos of concern around this area that is not interesting to me is what if my child falls behind academically? I don't believe in that. 
And I think that we're all in this boat together, at least. And kids are not doing a tremendous amount of learning this year. And that's okay. No one is getting ahead of you in the race. So that's one thing I will say, like, don't worry about. I have a guy who needs very specific kind of supports, and he gets them at summer school. And so it's not about like, he's not going to like learn Mandarin while the other kids are quarantined. Like that's not happening. And uh, that's nuts to me. I had personal experience with this because one of my kids was pretty sick with coronavirus and just like a long burn, right? And missed a ton of school. And I was focused on the summertime being a time to make up the work. And my child's principal actually like said to me like, do not worry about it. And I felt like I got like the free pass of all passes, right? This person who I really admire, who I've had a relationship with because all three of my kids have gone to the school was saying to me like, no, 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 no. Like, no, but it's fine. Like she gave me the free pass to not worry about that, that I had been waiting for because we all know I'm a pleaser. And yeah, so take it from this education specialist, if you don't believe us, like it's okay. It's like those lists that people make that are like, you know, should I marry him or not? Should I take this job or not? And it's like, you make a positive column and a negative column. And coronavirus is basically all negative column. That's kind of what we're saying. Like, there's very few positive column items. But in the positive column is the school part of it, the learning part of it doesn't matter that much, you know? They're home, they're especially, gosh, I see some people sometimes talking about like, well, how do I get my four-year-old to participate in a three-hour long Zoom? You know, it's like, whoa, 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 that's not a thing. Like, your four-year-old does not need to be learning in front of a computer, you know? They're learning by playing in the dirt. Older kids, it's fine. It's totally fine. That part I want, I want off the list. Okay, well, I'll put this back on the list, that if we're going to be at home, if, they're, if it's going to be fine, and sometimes they're on Zoom and sometimes they're not, this does land on mother's shoulders more than on father's shoulders. Like There are studies that show that women have cut their work hours back five times more than men during this time. Right. And that... For sure. Yeah. Did you see the study that there were... This was in the morning consult. 70% of women said that they are fully or mostly responsible for housework during lockdown. And the same number were like, and I'm also responsible for the kids who are suddenly around all the time and need help because they can't get the Zoom to work. Only 20% of their spouses agreed that they were doing most of it. So this is for women married to men. The men were like, two thirds of the women said, I'm doing it all. And only 20% of the men were like, yeah, yeah, she's doing it all. (laughs) 20% of the men in the same study said, I'm doing it all. Like it's mostly falling on me. And only 2% of women agreed. (laughs) Oh, dudes, dudes, come on, man. Yeah, exactly. Let's get it. We all know what's going on, ladies. Come on. Let's not get crazy. I just want to pour one out for us because it's okay and it is a factor and it is okay to be mad about that this is still going on, that we all like, we all put up with it in the spring, but by the fall, it was going to be fine. Now it's the fall and it's not fine. And this is going to affect us as mothers more than other people and we've had it and we have no choice and I think it's okay to be frustrated about that. Yeah, and I also think that one of the things that I'm trying to commit to over the summer, I had a horrible experience of distance learning. I was terrible and I'm a teacher. I teach, you know, in my real life. I teach all the time. I teach every semester. My husband was in Teach for America and is a teacher. We are horrible at teaching our own children. We make them cry. We fight with them. It's not going good here, guys. It's horrible. And one of the resets that I'm trying to work on mentally is 
because I have a little bit of that thing of like, especially probably with my kid who struggles academically, like, it's my job, I got to keep him up or whatever happens. And he's not cut out for distance learning. It's not going great for him. And you know what? Even that, I'm like, I'm going to make like Elsa and let it go. Like, if they want to watch a documentary in the afternoon about bears, that's learning too. Like, I am not going to get six assignments in the morning and harangue my children until they do them. When the note comes in from the band teacher being like, I have not seen proof that you are rehearsing your instrument 90 minutes a week. I'm just going to be like, yeah, sorry. We're not getting to that right now. You know, we just got a CCD note that was classic. You know, you will pay full fee. And also, you will prove that you are doing 90 minutes of religious education weekly with your kids. So that's four and a half hours for me with three kids. Like, we have to send a letter. Like, let's start a change.org. Like, nope, didn't sign up for this. Just like the teachers at this private school in New York. Like, it didn't occur to the world. They're like, so kids are just going to stay home and you're just going to do this again. That all the mothers of the world can be like, nope. Right. I'm going to do four and a half hours of religious education every week. I don't think so, Holmes. Like, it's not happening. And I do think that's another place where you have some actual agency in terms of like, how much can I participate in this? It's not a race. And if it was a race, guys, it's the world's most unfair race. Like it's a race where people who don't have jobs that they have to go to get ahead. That's not a good race. Don't participate in that race. You know, everyone's kids are falling behind. Everyone's not getting educated right now. And so I'm chillaxing a little bit on my expectations around the remote learning. And I'll see. The other thing is they've now had five months, whatever, to build a system that makes more sense than like frenzied emails from teachers being like, jump on the Zoom. okay, read this chapter about the Chinese clay soldiers and fill out this form. Like it was a frenzy before. And I'm hoping that what do they call that now? Is that asynchronous or synchronous learning? I can't remember. Like whatever the systems are for actual learning, hopefully will be a little better, but I'm opting out of like, we're going to win. Synchronous learning is like everybody be in their chairs at nine o'clock and we're all looking at each other on Zoom. And I'm lucky enough that my kids are old enough in high school that synchronous learning works pretty well. I mean, nobody likes it, but you can get a 16-year-old to sit in their chair and listen to a history lecture for half an hour. And then asynchronous is get these three things done and submit them by Tuesday at four. And that's hard for all age groups, I think. And it's also another, like, you've met one kid, you've met one kid. Like, I have two kids who really need help with that. They can't sit in front of a history. And some of it's their age and some of it's their learning styles. But, like, they can't sit in front of a video for half an hour and absorb what's there unless I'm there and pausing it and being like, what does that mean? You know, and really helping them with it. And that's the kind of help and support they would be getting in school. But they don't have it available to them at home unless I sit there. Right. And so I think there's, it's occurring to me as we're speaking, there's going to be reduced compliance from the students. There's going to be reduced compliance from the teachers who are saying like, no, 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 no. Don't call me a hero. I didn't sign up for this. No, thank you. And there's also (laughs) going to be reduced compliance from the mothers who are like, I can't spend six hours a day sitting at the dining room table and being yelled at by my three children. No, thank you. There's a lot of refusal about the Chinese clay soldiers like no thank you no yes thank you we're opting out guys all right we'll be right back (laughs) Amy you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is 
Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. And now, your principal's responses to your back-to-school questions. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Wow, we have gotten so much feedback on our back-to-school plan. And we've also had some follow-up questions, so we're just here to clarify a few things that might not have been clear. Our first question comes from a parent who asks, will there be both a remote and in-school option? Great question. We are 100% committed to constructing a plan for at-home live streaming of all classroom instruction, including smart board simulcasting. And in the week and a half we have left, we are pretty sure we will come somewhat close to figuring all that out. That one is a bit of a sticky wicket. Next question, is the plan being coordinated in conjunction with federal and state guidelines. Oh my gosh, that's a good one. Oh, it, they're serious. This plan was carefully constructed in the teacher's lounge in between bouts of uninterrupted sobbing. And since there are no state and local guidelines, we can confidently say this meets all state and local guidelines. Okay, moving on, the next couple of questions just say, what the f- in big red letters, so we can move on, I think. This parent wants some clarification on the cohort system for alternate day in-person instruction. Oh, thank God. That one's simple. Okay, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's asynchronous learning with an alpha chronic cohort for in-school instruction based on names that end with the letters A-L-X-D-G-M-Q-T-Z-B-J-P-H and Y. As well as children with pre-existing non-medical opt-outs, students in the ELF program, students who bus for more than eight kilometers from the school gate, and children under the ARC-5 umbrella. All other children will attend Wednesdays and Fridays. Good. I'm glad we could clear that up. Okay, we're going to skip the death threats, which are the next couple of ones here. There are lots of questions about what lunch will look like. Quote, won't a ton of kids crammed into a cafeteria shouting directly into each other's mouths be a problem? 
Okay, that one's too hard. We're going to do the final question instead, which is, what is the plan in terms of facing an actual outbreak? I mean, yeah, seriously. If 2.3 kids get it, then this whole system falls apart and we're totally and completely hosed. And the 1,000 hours I spent on this all summer instead of, I don't know, relaxing with my own children, going for a bike ride, enjoying 10 minutes of sunshine, then it was all for naught. Thanks for the great questions. This has been your principal's responses to your back-to-school questions. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Amy, we're supposed to say we solved it in 15 minutes, and we got nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Here's what I have for you. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how I'm the kind of person who I can look outside the window and I see the, you know, funnel cloud forming, but then I look at my phone, like the phone says it's not going to rain. So come on, everybody. No umbrellas necessary. Let's go outside. Yes. I trust the phone. I trust the guy on TV more than my own eyes and ears. And I think this is a moment where I am finally going to trust my own eyes and ears. I can look at the information that is being provided about levels of disease in the community, about the amount of mask wearing I do or don't see around me, and make my own decisions. Because going back to what I said before, because the school district's going with their gut too. They're going with like the best information that somebody said that they heard. Like, unfortunately, that's also what they're going with. So you might as well go with your gut on what feels safe and what doesn't. Yeah, the only pushback I have on that is I feel like months of Twitter scrolling and pretending to be an epidemiologist has convinced me that I have answers on coronavirus. (laughs) And I feel like I'm trying to step back from that a bit and be like, do I monitor the weather for 12 hours to determine whether or not there should be a snow day? I don't. I just get a call that says snow day, and I'm fine with that. And I am a person who I think compared to some people, I'm kind of like, all right, that sounds right to me. Like the principal says it's a snow day. I'm like, yes, should go. And in this situation, I'm trying to like, just lean into that a little bit too. I actually trust that the school district is making decent decisions, that they've done a ton more research than I have. And that if they think they can open safely, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. I'm not going to like spend a lot of time being like, well, the percentage rates and I'm like, I am going to trust these smart people who I've met in my school district. And again, I'm lucky to live somewhere where I feel that way about my school. Realize that's a privilege in and of itself. But I'm kind of going with like, it seems to be that we think this is risk management that works. And I'm going to go with that. Well, there are certain things that definitely mitigate the risk. That, well, as definitely as we can be, scientists agree that outside is better than inside. Right. But we're New York. We're outside for three weeks. Right. They can take the kids to Central Park for a couple of weeks, open windows for as long as you can, that that's better than recirculated air inside. And they've really come down on that it's respiratory much more than surfaces. So I think a school plan that includes a lot of stuff about scrubbing desks every 72 hours, but doesn't talk about how they're going to get the five-year-olds to wear the masks that they might be focusing their energy on a less important place. Yeah. And this is hard too. I mean, it's constantly changing. So then people start to feel like, yeah, they told me services and now they're saying none. And I don't understand. Like the unfortunate thing is like, we had to learn as we go because it's a novel 
coronavirus. So we've yes. never seen it before. It's exactly. like we had to figure it out. But then it was like, what's the answer? And people kept shouting answers. And then they were like, two days later, like, actually, no. I mean, let's be honest. Four months ago, everyone was like, whatever you do, don't put a mask on, you know? So it's understandable that people are now like, you told me one thing, and now you're telling me the exact opposite thing, so I no longer trust you. You know, I think it's hard for people. I was Cloroxing my apples all spring, and now you're telling me I didn't have to be doing that? Right. I wiped groceries like a maniac, (laughs) you know? Come on, people. But I think that, yeah, you kind of got to go with what the majority of experts are currently saying. That's what I think. The New York Times did a really cool, interactive, like back to school might look like, and I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Anyway, it was a whole area that I hadn't even thought of is uh, transportation plans. That's a huge part of this, how schools are going to make how kids are getting to school safe. Yes, right. Because we live in a walking town and we can't actually walk, but we drive our kids to school. Buses are a whole other thing. Yeah. My kids walk to school. That's another huge thing in New York City, and it's so specific to me. I won't dwell on it too much. But my children's classmates, a lot of them take public transportation to school, and my kids can walk. And that's another huge factor in, you know, will people or won't people send kids to school in New York City? But I have a couple of specifics here. In Marietta, Georgia, there are going to be monitors They're looking to hire 55 monitors, hope they can find these people, to check students' symptoms before they get on a bus in the morning. But they're, you know, they're going to like check their temperature, which I feel like is it's better than nothing, but it's not the like fail safe thing that we want it to be. But they're going to try. Yeah. And like one of the big outbreaks now is a kid who took a coronavirus test and then went to school and then it came back positive and they had to call him and be like, he's in the school. Right. You know, I mean, you can't really trust other people's good decisions to make this happen. Yeah. Taking a COVID test is not a preventative act. Right. And not knowing the answer yet. Right. And then it's like the plans are like Dundee, Michigan is adding routes to the buses, right? Odessa, Texas buses run continually like a city bus, drop people off and pick them up. So it staggers the schedules. What this makes me think of, this is a very random metaphor of a movie that literally no one but me has seen. But years and years ago, there was an IMAX movie called Fires of Kuwait. I think I've even talked about it on the podcast because it stuck with me. But it was about during the, I think, first Gulf War, these oil spouts things, I don't know the technical term, were (laughs) lit on fire. And so there were hundreds and hundreds of like spouting oil flames like shooting up in the desert, right? Like you'd look at the desert. On purpose. They set them on fire on purpose as an act of war. Yeah, it was some part of the war that like they got set an act of war, right? So you would look out and it was like, you know, like old faithful, but with fire, like a thousand of them looking out at this huge field. And they brought teams from all over the world to help put these fires out. And every team did it differently. They didn't make a big plan. So some teams like put dynamite at the bottom and exploded it. And then it would break the fire line for a second. The only thing you had to do is separate the fire from the fuel for two seconds. And then the fire would go out. Some people like put a cone on top of it and tip the cone over. And that's how they separated the fire from the fuel. Some people like put a board, you know, a steel plate in between them. Every team did it differently, but they all put the fires out, too. And then some people were bad and didn't put the fires out. And the only test was like, is it working? You know, and it reminds me of this situation, which is there's no national plan. We're all doing this. We're making it up as we go along. And so the fact that schools are doing it differently is not necessarily a sign that you shouldn't trust anything. That's right. It's a sign that everybody's trying. Now, if you look around at a school that's doing staggered bus schedules and that school's shutting down, 
okay, maybe that wasn't the way to go. You know, this is going to be a learning and people are going to get coronavirus during the learning. And that may be you and maybe your kids, not you, Amy, because you've already had it. But (laughs) that may be me. It may be my kids. But I just think like we're all trying to figure this out and there is no Google, though you might listen to podcasts called Should I Send My Kid Back to School, Though You Might. There actually is nobody who can tell you the correct answer to this. Right. We are now in like risk assessment mode. We are no longer in prevention mode. It's the best decisions you can make today based on the information you have today. That's what these school districts are doing And then that's what we have to do. And it doesn't have to be the same thing. That's right. And it's not fair that you don't really have to worry about it, maybe because you don't have it. I have two parents who already worked at home and feel pretty good about my school system and am not regularly interacting with immunocompromised people. Although, honestly, in my age category, I'm not risk. I'm not completely (laughs) free from being at quite a bit of risk for it myself. But then someone else has lupus and really has a kid who has strong educational needs, but can't send her kid because she can't risk it. And like the other mom who has type one diabetes, but the dad's an essential worker. And so he's living in the attic. Like there is no fair here. You know what I mean? And so like when we're trying to talk this out and figure it out for ourselves, But I understand that I am in a very different risk category than some people extremely close to me, than some people I don't know and will never meet, you know. And so that's why we're having trouble talking about it, because there's no way to get to solved it. here. Right. And the one thing I can say with certainty is the idea that kids don't get sick at all is not true. And maybe they don't get as dangerously ill, but this is very much a virus you don't want to get. Don't believe the hype that it's sniffles. It might be, it might not be. And that your kid is under 18 doesn't necessarily factor in. Not necessarily. Right. Because you had a child who had a really bad case and a really upsetting case. Yes. And we all fell back. I'm like, yeah, but those kids have underlying conditions. My kid does not have an underlying condition that one could point to. And even then, like, oh, okay, well, well, they had diabetes. Oh, they had bad asthma. So like, oh, okay. So those kids, we can just write that off. I mean, it's human nature, I think, to sort of just, you always look for the, well, they left the back door unlocked and that's why the robber got in, right? Like you look for the thing that distances us. Something You did something wrong. Couldn't happen to me. Yes, exactly. And that's not true. And this is the problem of hitting the target because I'm like, well, I think at the end of the day, we all have to take mitigated risks. And then you're like, my kid got it. It was horrible. I don't recommend it. And I'm like, wait a minute. What? Like, we're back to square one, you know, like it's sheesh. That's right. Unfortunately, what we're saying is like there are no answers. I do think at a certain point because of the way this virus has developed in the United States and the amount of exposure and how badly this horse is out of the barn. Listen, if I was in charge of the world, I would say every single person in the United States has to lock down for four weeks and we're going to try to break the back of this virus and then we're going to start contact tracing. Right. If I was in charge. But unfortunately for everyone on earth, I am not in charge of everything. If I was, guys, this would be a utopia (laughs) that we all live in. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And so I have to live in a world where we didn't do that. And so now there is a pretty big risk at all times that myself or one of my children is going to contract a pretty nasty virus. And 
There is a spectrum in which I never leave the house again. And like I bake bread and we put peanut butter on it and we stay home and we go into our yard and back and we have zero risk of getting the virus. Or we go back 100% to regular life and we have a very high risk of getting the virus. And I, for myself, have chosen to end up somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I also, as part of my calculation, have a dad who's 85, who I only see outside. He doesn't come inside my house. But, you know, he might need me to bring him something or there I could expose him to it and his chances of surviving it are extremely small. And so... You know, but we have to make these decisions. We can't make decisions and be like, but you could die of the virus. That's right. Like you could. That's the problem. Like there's no finish line where you're like, and that's why this is the right decision. Ding. And, you know, people will often ask me, where did we get it? We have no idea, right? Like we live in New York City, so it was out there. Right. You got it in New York City. You know, I didn't touch the hot stove. You know what I'm saying? Like at some point that transaction occurred, but you can't control 100% unless you don't leave your house and nobody else leaves your house and nobody who comes in has been, you know, somebody outside your house. You can't really control for that. And yeah, I'm not trying to scare anybody. But I will say this. Yeah. Because I do think it's like sort of too scary what you're saying. You got it very early March. Yes. And so you got it from someone not wearing a mask in public. Sure. That's right. Exchanging breath with another person. There is a huge reason to believe that our risk is very well mitigated by wearing masks. So you're right. There are things that we know now that we didn't know back then, and it does make things better. I was listening to the In the Bubble podcast this weekend with Andy Slavitt, and it's if you want like really good actual advice you can use, it's a great podcast for this moment. He had a guest on named Larry Brilliant. Who was very smart. I trust him. His name is Brilliant. Epidemiologist. And, you know, and there was all the bad news. And he said, do you have any good news? And he said, yes, I do. We are months closer to a vaccine than we were in March and April. That's what I tell myself. We are closer every day to this being over. And so I feel like that's my takeaway from this. That This is a very hard moment that we're in. It's difficult. The decisions are difficult. The reality is difficult, but it's not permanent. This is an intense moment we have to get through, but it will end. Yeah. And I also, I would go farther than that. I think we have come to understand more clearly things that mitigate the transmission of this virus and that masks is a big part of that. And that if I hadn't seen studies about how masks lower the transmission rates of this virus, my kids would not be going to school. I wouldn't have sent my kids to school in March. But it is different now. I'm not saying there's no chance they can get it. I'm not saying there's, you know, the masks are 100% effective and then you can all do whatever you want. I think we have come to understand masking and social distancing plays a role in really taking down the transmission of this virus. And that's why I'm sending my kids back to school, because we understand more than we did in March. All you have to do is get everybody to wear masks. And it's not solved it. Well, I mean, my kid's school is not letting kids in without a mask on. There may be Mm -hmm. some exceptions for kids for whom masks are just completely not an option, but they are figuring that out. If 90% of the people in that building are wearing masks, I feel pretty comfortable sending my kid there. And they're keeping people far apart. 
Are there going to be instances where kids get closer? They're going to mess it up. Yes. But I believe that masks and distancing mitigate risks. When I have people in my life, I wear a mask everywhere I go and I stay six feet apart from other people. And I believe that significantly mitigates my risk of getting the virus. It doesn't wipe it out. So I'm not just saying like, I'm taking my chances within a set of circumstances that I believe genuinely mitigate the risks. Yeah. And that's how I'm solvent for myself. And I guess as uh, taxpayers, as tuition payers, we have the right to speak up and make sure that the schools are doing what they can if we are going to send our kids to go by what has been proven to work and spend less time on, you know, Cloroxing every apple, so to speak. That's right. And it will continue to evolve. They'll learn new things. Everyone's figuring this out. But that's right. Like, I would say for myself, I would not send my kid to a school where masks are not required, and I would not send my kid to a school that is not practicing social distancing. That is a choice I would not make for myself. But I feel comfortable with the mitigation measures, and I say, all right, I get how this works. And then that much reduced chance I'm willing to take. So I feel like you've solved it for you, and I've solved it for me, and <laughs> we're not going to tell you guys what to do, because it's completely different for every single person. There you go. Solved it, adjusted for present circumstances, guys. That's as, as far as we can get this time. <laughs> for very personal circumstances. Anyway, whatever. The decision sucks. And this is really hard. And we see you and we get that you're struggling with it. And we have a community on Facebook. We have a group and a page. Come find us at Wet Fresh Hellcast and talk about this stuff because there's a lot of other mothers who are struggling. And that group is a very supportive, warm bath of, yeah, this is tough, which I think we all need right now. And people helping each other make these decisions, which is important. And you can also find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, on YouTube. You can find us anywhere. If there's a social media platform, type in What Fresh Out Podcast and you will see our smiling faces there, guys. We're going to be complaining about going back to school or not on all the platforms. Oh, yes. There's going to be an endless supply of memes related <laughs> to all of this stuff, guys. So please come indulge in that on our social media pages. And with that, man, guys, try to get out of that fetal position every once in a while and stop rocking. I, I was going to say it's going to be okay. Total lie. It's going to be what it's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be. Yeah. And worrying doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> guys, we'll talk to you next week. Hang in there, guys. Talk to you next week. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wannabe Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.